Hello, and welcome to Teaching Together, the podcast from Complete Mathematics. I'm Dave Taylor, and today I'm joined by my Complete Maths colleague, Kieran Mackle. Hi, Dave. Great to be here. What are we looking at today, Kieran? We're going to explore counting in steps of three. So this objective is in Unit 3 of Stage 2 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of over 1,800 objectives for free at CompleteMaths.com. You can follow along with this episode by heading to CompleteMaths.com forward slash podcast where you can download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. And once you've downloaded this, let's dive into Teach, Do, Practice, Behave with Counting in Steps of 3. Before we teach people a new idea, we must be sure that we're doing the right maths at the right level. If we're not, and it's too easy or too hard, we run the risk of behaviour and motivation issues as pupils develop the idea that they're not a maths person, and we know that this isn't a thing. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. So Kieran, can you tell us about the prerequisites for this objective, and how we can maybe go about assessing them in the classroom? So I think for this objective in particular, there are quite a few prerequisites and, you know, we sometimes like to have a task that could summarize everything. But I think if we did have a task, it would just be a picture of a counting stick because essentially we need to have a, a general sense of numerosity that we're building up through stage zero, be able to count forwards and backwards within 100 in steps of two, in steps of five, because they I don't know, pupils seem to find those a little bit more accessible than counting the steps of three. I mean, for me, I think this is one of the ones that causes most children an issue, whereas sometimes they can quite naturally spot the pattern with twos and fives, can't they? You know, especially if you're starting from, you know, if you're starting from zero, you know, the pattern lends itself to sort of quick assimilation of the recitation process. Um, But I think in general, we should be counting every single day with pupils you know, from a very, very young age. Like I say, using things like counting sticks, recitation rhymes, lots of those in state zero, anything that helps pupils build their mental model of number and the number system within 100. Because there are no shortcuts to this objective. Really, it just has to be a part of your everyday practice as, you know, as a pupil, counting as much as you possibly can, as a parent, counting with your your children or those children who are in your your care and as a teacher, you know, making sure children have the opportunity to count because we know that recitation precedes enumeration. And so if we want them any chance of success with later mathematics, we're thinking about this big picture, this big mental model of our number system within 100. And although enumeration the whole way to 100 is certainly not necessary at this point. And in terms of assessing that prerequisite knowledge, you mentioned before we started recording that this could be done on classroom. How might you go about that on classroom? So you go to stage zero, and for instance, there will be um, there will be early objectives where we've outlined the prominent role that finger rhymes play in the early development of people's mathematical understanding. And so I've listed maybe as many songs as I possibly think of. You know, like uh, one, two, three, four, five. Once I caught a fish alive. Yeah. And I've, you know, and it might be that there are particular parts of the world where that song is common. But if you're, for instance, in Australia and that's not a common song, 
the whole song is there for you. And you're singing these kind of songs with your kids all the time, you know, in incidental moments. Like, you know, there might be some dead time while you're waiting for all the pupils to come into the class or all the pupils come in from break time, you know, especially with young children. They'll be getting sort out their water bottles. They'll be sorting out the, the their snack or whatever. Their coat hanging their coats up is a is a military type operation. And so you'd be thinking, okay, well, let's sing a song while we're here and stuff. You know, we're using story time. So there are lots of examples of ways in which counting can become part of your your daily routine. So before we get into the teach phase, I, I just want to say that I, I you know my daughter is six, having recently had a birthday. Past podcast she's mentioned as being five. That's how time works, and. She has learned to count in steps of three, but she's, I mean, she's basically learned a rhyme. I mean, she's singing, but more than anything, I I mean, she's, she's singing the, the, uh, the three times table up to 30, but she could be singing twinkle, twinkle, little star for all that's worth. So we're here, we're trying to take that prior knowledge and formalize it. Yes, I think so. I mean, my five-year-old just turned six as well, Dave. We only talk off her about uh, how close their birthdays are. <laughs> But I think, yeah, 100%. You, that, that kind of singing is a precursor, a natural precursor to the ability to manipulate that pattern, essentially, is what we're looking for. And so hopefully these activities will help pupils to both spot the pattern and then use that in their sort of, a, you know, in their in their mathematical development, you know, use it to, the, to put it to good effect. Right. So in the teach phase, the idea sits just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can make meaning and form connections with their current schema. So how are we going about the teach phase for counting in steps of three, Kieran? So when you're counting in steps of two or five, there's a very clear pattern to help you. You know, for instance, two, four, six, eight, and zero is quite a common pattern. Five zero five zero five zero, and even with fives, if you started counting from one, you would notice the once the one six one six pattern. You know this repeating pattern. Yeah. When you're counting in steps of three, you end up with three six nine two five eight one four seven zero. So you Just can't doesn't quite roll off a tongue, does it? No. And then if you start from a different number, you're going to get a similar pattern where essentially all the digits are in use, and um, or very close to it. So you you can't lean on that sort of safety net as readily with this. Um, and that and you know that's just when you count from zero um, or continue that particular sequence. So I think what we need to do is we need to use the hundred square to explore how this looks and how this feels. So on the slide deck we've got the the sort of the the image mapped out and then a direct comparison with counting in steps of two and counting in steps of five. So for instance, if you start with the one in the bottom left-hand corner, as you should um, on a on 100 square, um, you'll notice that you've got these columns when you're counting in twos and columns when you're counting in, in fives. And then the same would be true when you're counting in tens. But actually, you've got this diagonal when you're counting in steps of three. And what you need to do is you, you need to sort of direct people attention to the point where they can make direct comparisons between those sort of manifestations. So what's the same, what's different about the patterns that are created when we count in different steps? And so I think it's 
it's through looking at the the differences that we sort of start to realize that we need to think a bit more deeply about counting steps of three. You know, this is when pupils realize that there is no shortcut. Um, and sometimes coloring hundred squares can be can become a, a filler task. So what we need to do is we need to think about the questions we ask and the properties we draw attention to. Because um, then giving people strategies for utilizing this knowledge when they're counting in steps of three, I think. Right, so at this point, then we'll transition out of the teach phase and then we'll look for people to do. And that's coming up next. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown, and in most cases, this is likely to be following a procedure which leads to a solution. The do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new idea. Here, the teaching is responsive, amending models or examples to make stronger connections with pupils' schema and to maintain pupil motivation. The aim is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea, and it's important to state that in the do phase, deep and meaningful learning probably hasn't yet occurred, and that pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown and performing. So what might the do phase look like, Karen? I think in the main, it's repeated exposure to the ideas explored in the teach phase, which is fairly typical. But what I want to do is I want to give pupils the opportunity to, to probe the generalization we sort of looked at at the start. So we're looking at this pattern and thinking, okay, this is how counting in steps might be represented. I don't know, I want to say spatially. And I think it's a spatial awareness that pupils are, de are developing from this, you know, that relative distance between each of the, the different points. And so I might say, well, let's start from a different uh, starting point. So in the example, I start with one. And if pupils were to start with one and then color, you would hope that they would realize, oh, well, this pattern is almost identical. It just has a different starting point. And then, well, let's start from two. What do we notice? You know, will 11 be colored in? And hopefully they'll be able to say, well, actually, yeah, I think it will. And then the question I'm asked is, well, what are the next three numbers you will count? So almost maybe giving them half of this, you know, it might be something that's um, you know backward faded where we give them half of this, you know, sort of represented. I mean, I used MathSpot and it's just a case of choosing your color clicking on the the numbers that you want to be colored in so you could in seconds start this pattern and think well where are we going to next because i think what we're doing is we're trying to explore these patterns in as many ways as possible probably want it to be workload light we don't want to be printing hundreds of these off so how can we explore this together um, and i think it's our questioning and the opportunity to look at part examples and uh, alongside work examples that gives us the chance to look at, okay, we can have this broad picture of no matter where I start counting from, I'm going to find similar features in the in the pattern, I think. So I've, I've, I've witnessed this with uh, Eliza. Over Easter, I printed off some of the, is it GAIM tasks? And they're the times tables booklets from, from, the, from the game tasks. They're really useful, uh, but they do have a, a bit in them where they do ask you to share in the multiples of two, and the multiples of five. And I, I printed off two, five, ten, and three for her uh, over Easter. 
And when it came to shading the multiple, she shaded in 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. And by the time she got to 14, she just got a pencil and just shaded around the entire thing. So now she was just colouring in um, columns as opposed to thinking about counting in twos. The same went for the fives, just two straight down, and then the tens was just straight down. Now, the threes, uh, you've mentioned this pattern, and by the time you've done, um, if you're doing the three, the, the multiples of three, three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24. By the time I've got to 24, I think, I'm expecting pupils to be just seeing this pattern and they're going, oh, I'm just going to call the diagonals in. And so they're no longer counting threes. And I guess this is where this idea of shifting the starting number comes from. So where we're still we're still linking back into the pattern, but we're not sort of leaning on the pattern. And and like I've said about Eliza just singing the multiples of three, that's not where we want pupils to be at the end of this. We want them to be thinking hard about how we're missing two numbers and saying the third, missing two numbers, saying the third. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you're not dedicating lots and lots of class time to this activity and to this sequence, you know? It's just a valuable use of time to have this added to your mental model of counting. It's it's the counting every day that helps you get better at counting. You know, you know, you 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 could arguably just do five minutes of counting every day, and all the counting objectives would take care of themselves because pupils would naturally, with opportunity, develop a, an awareness. I just think in this context, if we're going to do some explicit teaching. There's value in looking at how we can represent this so that we develop an understanding of when those shortcuts that you say that pupils like to take as much, as quickly as possible might not help us. Um, because I think when the 100 square is removed, they need to have a sense of checking themselves. You know, is, is this a realistic count? You know, I've said, you know, I've said 47. Am I likely to say fifty? And I, and I, I, whenever, whenever my my youngest is working on tutor, he's worked through some of the counting uh, objectives, and I've seen him do that. Where he's saying, "Well, it, it can't be that because that one's got a a one," you know, and you know he, he looks at the rest of the pattern and stuff. Um, so I think it's just about giving pupils the opportunity to develop their, sort of, I don't know, as many strings to their bow as possible, in the sense that when they're counting they can self-check and also be more accurate initially. I, th I think that's where I'm, where I'm coming from. You know, in this, we're testing the boundaries to see whether those patterns exist. But in the real world, counting is what helps you get better at counting, just like maths is what helps you get better at maths. Right. So having worked through the teaching do phases and pupils have begun to develop fluency, we're going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the idea. Unfortunately, it's quite common that pupils spend all of their time in a maths lesson performing with the new idea, as in the do phase, but don't get as far as forming connections with their existing schema, and this affects retention in the long term. Through teaching do, pupils are now fluent with the idea, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. Looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed task that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. So, Kieran, 
what kind of activity might the teacher be using here? So, I mean, this this is what builds on your last point about, you know, by this point and this stage in the sequence, pupils might be ready to just start coloring, coloring in diagonals. But obviously we know that you remember what you pay attention to, to paraphrase Willingham, and that the places we spend our attention are the places most likely to help us develop meaning. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase that, but essentially we want to direct people's attention in this task. So questions like, will you count? Which number is incorrect? Like I said, but um, you know, those examples my youngest had been experiencing. Anything that directs people's attention to the patterns they've been absorbing in the previous phases of the learning episode, and even, you know, testing those boundaries, you know, can this information help us count in steps of three? Where do things break down? Do they break down? And so it's that next step of complexity, and it's very much a case of how do we frame the task and what are, what's the purpose of our task? And so it might be that we want to see how pupils will behave independently with this, or it might be that we want to test assumptions that they may have made or we've noticed they've made, you know, and so they may be looking for things like three, six, nine in all of the numbers. And we have to show them that that's not the, the case. So I think, yeah, careful question. I and mean, like I said, I've given some examples, you know, which number's incorrect, will you count? And I think I've even given them on the on the slide deck some alternate representations of the hundred square. You know, so that's going to cause a different type of cognitive load because if they see the one on the, the bottom right hand side, that could be potentially be the first time they've seen it like that. You know, I know that in some cultures, counting starts at the right because that's where reading starts, you know, and starting on the left is very much a Western idea. Um, and there are some, you know, certainly I think we talked about the ancient Maya. I think they, they you know, it was. It was vertical, so they would start at the bottom and and, go, and read upwards. You know, so the, you know any research I've read about about counting systems and number systems, they're very much they're very culturally influenced, um, and so this kind of dissonance by presenting different ways to represent the the hundred square, I think you know that extra layer of complexity and, and force pupils to think carefully about the the mathematics. I hope anyway. So when you talk about testing the boundaries and where do things break down, can I just ask what kind of what kind of question you might be asking pupils to to check that with? I think it's things like will you count? You know, so how confident are they that you know, for instance, say we're counting from counting from zero and we count in steps of three. How confident are they that we're going to see seventy two? Because if they have developed an awareness of the the sequence. You know, like you say, you're talking about them. Your your youngest reciting multiples and skip counting essentially. Yeah. You get to a point where you you you're so familiar with that that you can just go, oh yeah, we will count that because I know that comes in the sequence. So we're we're testing those suppositions and it's these things like you know, you know, are you 100 certain that you will count this if we counted, you know, that kind of thing. So they've got these pre-existing ideas that we hopefully have built up accurately during the previous phases. At what point does that, that model break down? At what point do 
the strategies they rely on break down, if at all. So my last question before we we segue out of the practice phase into behaviour phase was: um, so are we are we counting up and down in sets of three here? I mean, I think the whole way through this, you know, we we, we probably are. Um, but you know, there's definitely value because children seem to find counting backwards slightly more difficult. You know, in the same way that they find subtraction slightly more difficult than addition. And um, and so yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you could start at ninety nine and say, okay. What's what's the are, are will we will we I don't know will we count sixty six will we count thirty three and why do you why do you think that I mean those are very basic examples I'd probably choose points along that count that provided more of a challenge to pupils but I'm also very worried that I don't want to make a mistake in in in, in that count live on a podcast so I've gone for the safe <laughs> option. <laughs> Okay, so after pupils have assimilated this idea into their schema, forming strong connections between the novel idea and their existing knowledge, we're looking at them behaving mathematically. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and if our aim is to develop mathematicians, then this phase is the most important of all. When behaving mathematically, maturation matters. In this phase, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. And a good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with the related idea from roughly two stages previous. So for counting in steps of three, uh, you've put a task together on slide six, Kieran. Can you talk us through that? So I've I've chosen a very clear prerequisite or dependent for which counting the steps of three is a prerequisite. And it's something that a lot of pupils, I think, in primary can often struggle with. And it might be an example of where early mathematical understanding or a paucity of it is the is the blocker. And that's uh, the idea of translation. So, for instance, when we are translating shapes or points on uh, on a on a graph. Um, then, you know, if you cannot count in the required number of steps to perform the translation, then I think yeah, you will, you know, obviously be unable to engage with the mathematics. Now, I, I prefer your task as a behaved task, but I did think it was necessary to highlight here's how early mathematics from stage one can directly influence success in mathematics at I want to say stage four, stage five, and there there are bites, certainly towards the end of upper key stage two, when pupils are typically encountering this mathematics in class. And so, you know, I think I'd like to hand over to you, Dave, because you've chosen a really rich mathematical task as opposed to my direct dependent prerequisite relationship I've drawn attention to. So just on slide six, before I, I do start talking about the task on slide seven, um, I do often find myself counting steps of three when it comes to transformations, particularly with this translation, for example, I would probably find myself counting steps of three to get from one, one to seven, four. Just naturally, I think. I, I don't know why I do that, or maybe I'm supposed to do that, but it seems to be how it goes. And when we enlarge by a scale factor of three, for example, the counting steps of three is, is quite important there. Now, the task on slide seven is something that was it was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, maybe in months. I'm, I've lost track of time, if I'm honest. And I don't know who who originally tweeted it, 
the context is it's it's some lockers that I've said is at a sports centre. And the question is, on which row would you expect to find the locker numbered uh, 99, 104, 28, 1,000, 128 and 1? Not in that order. But I did I did enjoy this task and it, it brought up a lot of discussion on Twitter. Now, what um, the way that we can extend this is then to ask maybe what colour uh, these lockers numbered 99, 104, 28, 128, 1,001 would be, which brings in another aspect to uh, thinking mathematically and how and how the the sequence of colours is being used, but also I, I did also wonder like the locker number one isn't on the top row, and and it really should be. So why on earth wouldn't locker one be on the top row? And and even like, I mean, that's not a mathematical question, but in terms of reasoning and understanding how life works, maybe that's something worth worth exploring as well at the same time. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this task. Um, I think it was around about the time of the Mathematical Association, you know, the Transformer, um, was it Megazord, where they all come together and they make this big conference. Um, it might have been Richard Perrine or Colin Foster. I'm not sure if one of those guys used it in one of their things. Um, you know, But again, apologies if we're misattributing the task to someone. But yeah, I mean, it just challenges so many preconceptions about, about those patterns that we were discussing that have built up and I think, yeah, it makes people really think about the underlying mathematics. And, you know, I think it's, it's the perfect example of a behave task because you're taking what, you know, to most pupils by the time they finish primary school is quite a rudimentary part of their mathematical thinking. And it encourages them to, uh, you know, to really think carefully about um, what it is they know to be true and, and then to use that uh, as part of their sort of more complex reasoning processes. That brings us to the end of this episode of Teaching Together. Don't forget to check out the entire curriculum for free at CompleteMaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from counting to calculus. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode. And if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. I'm on at TaylorDear01. And I'm at Kieran underscore M underscore Ed. Our complete maths are available on at LaSalle Ed. I'm also available on email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I'm Kieran at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your chosen podcast provider and please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. <laughs>